In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The biggest threats facing Democrats in Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, or the 50th time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Coming up later, we'll talk about what split-ticket voting means for Georgia's elections. But first, high inflation in Georgia is threatening Democratic chances here in the state and really everywhere in the country. Patricia, this is something that we've been talking about for months, ever since the price of household products has been going up and up and up. But now we're starting to see the real impact in polls. And even with a string of momentous U.S. Supreme Court decisions on culture issues, on abortion, on guns, poll after poll shows that the economy and inflation are the top priority of Georgia voters. And, you know, it it could portend some troubling times for Democrats here. For sure. I actually wrote about inflation and the politics of inflation for my Sunday column because with the numbers that have come out, especially this week, you can just really see the data behind this anxiety that we've all been feeling, that voters in Georgia have been feeling, and really all across the country. Um, We saw this week that inflation is at 9.1%, which is the highest rate in more than 40 years. Gas prices, although they have been going down a bit over the last several weeks, are still 40% more than we were paying this time last year. And so you can just feel that crunch. Even if you've gotten a raise, you're not keeping up with inflation. I think people are starting to get worried about future job losses, companies starting to contract because they just can't meet their payrolls. And it's the first time we've been in this space when it wasn't a pandemic. And the pandemic kind of felt like, okay, this will end sometime soon. Inflation and this kind of of spiraling uh, decrease in people's ability to spend and ability to buy and ability to plan ahead is we don't know when that's going to end. And you can feel the anxiety. And it's really starting, as you said, to show up in the poll numbers. Um, Anybody who is a Democrat or affiliated with a Democrat, um, anybody who's named President Joe Biden is having (laughs) a really rough go of it. And voters are really very obviously losing confidence in the president's ability to get his arms around this crisis. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more later, but the latest poll we have is an AARP Georgia poll done by President Joe Biden's pollster. So it comes from a respected Democratic 
leaning pollster that shows his approval rating in Georgia is just 34%. And it also shows, as we mentioned earlier, just like the others, that inflation and the economy are the the biggest factor in Georgia voters' decisions at the ballot in November. And look, Patricia, it's not like Democrats didn't see this coming. I mean, we've been writing for months about how Senator Raphael Warnock is trying to counter efforts to pin the blame on Democrats for this high inflation. He's been talking about capping the price of insulin, curbing rising costs of prescription drugs, a federal gas tax break on fuel, and other sales tax holiday ideas, and things, things like that, as he tries to focus on what is going to be the, you know, one of the prevailing factors in November. Stacey Abrams has taken a similar path, really, right? She's talking about extending the state's gas tax break on fuel for the rest of the year and giving Georgians what amounts to a billion dollar tax refund now rather than waiting for the lawmakers to go back in session next year. So that's their way to counter it. But of course, Republicans can just say this happened on Joe Biden's watch. So the race where I think this is going to really be important is in that U.S. Senate race where Republicans Mm -hmm. would love nothing more than for that race to be about Joe Biden and gas prices and Raphael Warnock's support of Joe Biden. Raphael Warnock's team, on the other hand, would like to make this about Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker's level of experience, everything that Herschel Walker has said that every hot mic has picked up and uh, been sort of run through the mill of the (laughs) national press over the last several weeks. So you're going to see absolutely strong efforts to both personalize this race by the Democrats and nationalize it by Republicans because the national environment is so very dire for especially for President Joe Biden right now. And of course, the challenge for Republicans and the challenge in particular for Herschel Walker is staying on message because you're right. They want nothing more than to say Warnock equals Biden, Warnock equals Biden, Warnock equals Biden. And yet, if he keeps on stumbling and having issues and more reports come out and yada, 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 it makes it a lot harder for Republicans to stay on that message. And, and speaking of that message, you know, we mentioned that AARP poll. This is just the latest of a number of polls that not only show inflation is the number one issue for for Georgia voters, which is important in itself, because it shows that social issues like abortion and and guns haven't usurped the economy as the top issue for many Georgians, but it's also starting to show a trend of split ticket voters. Now, it's early, it's July, we've got four months, a lot can happen, but we're starting to see evidence of Raphael Warnock's outdoing Stacey Abrams' by about four or five points in many of these polls, and Brian Kemp outdoing Herschel Walker by about four or five points uh, if you look at the average of polls. And certainly this AARP Georgia poll kind of backed that up by showing a gap, a significant, legitimate gap between the two Democrats and the two Republicans that could indicate a split ticket vote with many Republicans or some at least Republicans who are backing Kemp but can't stomach a vote for Herschel Walker, and some Democrats who are backing Raphael Warnock, but for various reasons, say that they're going to support Brian Kemp. And in a very close race, this could matter. This really could matter in a state like Georgia. Oh, it could really matter. Uh, And we know all about close races. I mean, as we know, it just takes 11,000 votes to swing swing the entire state. And so um, I think that in a battleground state like Georgia, with uh, the number of 
candidates that we have who are well-known and well-liked by their parties, you can absolutely envision a state in the future where voters have chosen sort of a buffet of different kinds of leaders, depending on what the office is and depending on what the environment is for that particular office. So for somebody like Brian Kemp, the state economy is still quite strong, despite all the national numbers. We see that holding up in his poll numbers Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot. When you look at another race, I'm going to really keep my eye on that race for attorney general. I really do think that the abortion issue will play a role in this election. It's not showing up in the polls the way I expected it to, but just anecdotally with voters and with people I talk to around this issue, especially suburban women, this is an existential issue in a lot of ways. And so a race for a position like attorney general where that's going to really matter, I could envision that swinging that race. So I don't know that this is going to be a clean cut Democrats win night or Republicans win night. If it's a wave election, you know, that tends to lift all boats. Will that lift Herschel Walker up over this threshold of of where his own performance so far is kind of dragging him down? Mm-hmm. It could, you know, it sure could. Every election night where there's a huge wave election, people win who you didn't think would win and people lose who you didn't think would lose. So it's such a it is such an unsettled, almost volatile dynamic inside the electorate right now. We don't have any idea what's going to happen four months from now. Um, first of all, that's why Georgia politics are so awesome to cover. Um, <laughs> it really is. But it's also why these candidates and campaigns have to really get serious about honing in their message, getting organized, getting their message tight, and then starting to really turn out their own voters. And that's why candidates matter, too, by the way. Candidates and campaigns matter yes. in these races. Um, you mentioned, you know, we might not have a Democrat's clear-cut win or Republican's clear-cut win. We might not have any wins in certain races because with the polls as, as close as they are, there might be runoffs. Luckily for all of us Georgia voters, they're no longer a nine-week runoff period that will go all the way to January. Instead, thank, we'll have a tighter I, Can we just stop package. and say thank you, Lord, for that? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, bipartisan lawmakers. <laughs> Them too. <laughs> who, who at least agreed on that part of the uh, of the overall election law yes. uh, changes. That was a nightmare. Else. Yes. Continue. Continue, continue Greg. Yes. Um, but I want to get to your column, Patricia, because as you've noted, there's no race where abortion could play a larger factor than the attorney general's race. And we've talked about local prosecutors. We've talked about police agencies and law enforcement officials who say in certain parts of, of the state, particularly left-leaning areas, they're not going to prosecute or try to enforce or prioritize any violations of Georgia's anti-abortion law if slash when it takes effect. But Jen Jordan's right in the middle of this because she's out there saying she wouldn't use state resources to defend the law in court. And Chris Carr, the the Republican incumbent attorney general, saying, hey, that's a dereliction of duty. Yes. Well, I promise you that Jen Jordan is happy to have this fight. Uh, there is, <laughs> yes, a, is. <laughs> there is a precedent of a uh, really interesting precedent, actually, when Thurbert Baker was the state Democratic state attorney general and Sonny Perdue was the Republican governor. They came to blows more than once over what the Democratic attorney general would do in 
with the requests that the Republican governor was making of him. And then eventually, at least one situation, Sonny Perdue had to appoint an outside counsel to take on a case that uh, Thurbert Baker just said, I'm not going to do that. I don't that's I don't think that's lawful. And so uh, we've seen this happen before. I think it's a matter of debate. Republicans will say that's it, it's not up for debate. This is a very clear constitutional duty. But Jen Jordan has said, I do not believe that this law is constitutional under the state constitution. And she is, again, she's happy to stand up and say that. And she's also um, said that there are plenty of laws that Chris Carr is not enforcing. And a little known fact, adultery is still against the law in the state of Georgia. Fornication is against the law in the state of Georgia. There are lots of laws that are not, um, don't get the attention of prosecutors or of attorneys general because it's they don't make it a priority. Um, sometimes they're antiquated. Sometimes they don't agree with them, particularly local DAs. Prosecutorial discretion um, is kind of a long-held tenet of being a DA. Those are elected positions. And those DAs will argue that's why they were elected, was to have that prosecutorial discretion and make those choices that are in line with their community. But it does set up a really unusual dynamic where you have what what could be a statewide law implemented and Mm. local officials not participating in any aspect of that. Mostly it will also come down to the state with licensing board for doctors when you get into the nuts and bolts of that law in particular. But if, as we get into being more of a battleground state, I could easily see how it wouldn't be the last time that there is a law that's passed, local DAs don't want to implement it, and other sort of clashes of culture now that we have these races that are not going to be entirely held by one party at the same time. I'm no lawyer, but I I am a veteran of legal reporting. I used to work for the Fulton (laughs) County Daily Report, uh, which was a legal newspaper, which is a legal newspaper in Atlanta. And also I covered legal affairs with the Associated Press for like seven years. And so I can tell you there's plenty of laws that prosecutors and the attorney general, uh, you know, don't, don't actively enforce. And I've covered cases where prosecutors decided not to appeal and to let exonerations happen and things like that. So, of course, it does happen because there's there's all sorts of laws on the books that are not right now enforced. And we even brought up an example in one of our last shows where I've had folks reach out to me saying, hey, they are giving out water at polling places to try to tempt law enforcement officers to arrest them and charge them with violating that tenant of Senate Bill 202, the election overhaul. And, you know, local, local authorities, local, local prosecutors can choose not to do that. And Patricia, you know, just as you said, Jen Jordan is eager to have this fight. So is Chris Carr. All of his social media messaging, all of his campaign messaging has been about attacking Jen Jordan for this. So he is leaning into this abortion debate just as much as Jen Jordan is, it seems. Yep. And for the first time in a long time, you know, Georgians are going to have real contrasts up and down the ballot of uh, well-financed candidates, candidates who have the kind of full financial backing of their state and national parties. So these are going to be real races up and down the ballot. And I think the attorney general's race, secretary of state's race, these that used to be just real sleepers, kind of just nobody Mm. who even knew who was running for those offices. Now we see them um, popping up and I'm sure those will get national attention as well. Let's listen to Chris Carr in his own words on the Austin Roadshow. Well, and I've said it's a dereliction of duty. And whether it's abortion, whether it's uh, certain crimes in the state, we've got some DAs that are now writing memos about what categories of crimes they're not going to enforce just because they don't like them. And, you know, Austin, if you don't like a law, that's fine. 
but we've got a process for changing laws. It's the legislature. So expect to hear that plenty because Chris Carr has said if Jen Jordan doesn't like the laws, then, hey, she's a state senator. She should stay in the state capitol as a member of the legislature. Well, I'm sure she has some some retort to that. <laughs> we could, we should have, you know, we should start having additional people on the show. That would be cool. Maybe we could have some like debates on the show or on the podcast. Um, oh, but one quick detail, um, and I am pointing this out only because I think I know we're going to have some lawyers listening. Jen Jordan's role would be defending this law in court if their challenge is brought up to it. It's typically the attorney general. There's not a big enforcement mechanism for the attorney general on that particular abortion law, but defending it when it's most certainly going to be challenged in the court. That would fall to the attorney general, but we may have a situation down the line, either with Jen Jordan or in the future, where the attorney general's not going to play that traditional role of the AG defending the state's laws in court. Well, we will be watching this race very closely. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders who work every day and every night to bring you the morning jolt, bright and early, usually right around 7.30 a.m. We think the morning jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning as well if you're a subscriber to the AJC you can join our beloved community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts in your first month of limited digital access. It's just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, this is the part of the show where we like to talk about what's going on outside of the political world. You've got a big day coming up where your kids are coming back from camp. And we heard from some listeners, some are on Team Patricia where they miss their kids dearly <laughs> um, while they're away for a sleepaway camp. And some are on Team Greg where they're I like, think there are more on Team Bye. Greg. I think, in the, I think the quote was in the see a sucker category. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, the see a sucker. Um, yeah, but you you must be really excited. I'm so excited. Yes, we're, we have to... I mean, this camp is so far away. We're like starting our trek today, tonight, after the podcast, drive most of the way over there, and then we'll pick them up first thing in the morning. Um, and I'm so, we're so excited to have them back. So, yes. I'm, so you're I'm, ready to hit the road as soon as we stop yabbing. So <laughs> That's right. I am. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff in a bag, go get them, and then, you know, and then and then go on with life. Well, mine are back, and it's kind of just like before they left. Things are definitely back to normal. And 
our producer Shane got to meet my uh, oldest daughter, the one who's starring in Beauty of the Beast, as Belle, because we had tennis practice right around the corner from where we were having an AJC happy hour, and the tennis practice got canceled. So I brought her along to the AJC's oh, happy hour. Her, her first happy hour. I tried to get her to sing something from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. I said, we need some she live wouldn't. entertainment here, but she didn't She didn't take my offer. She was like, get me out of here. And and one of the reasons she was, and it was great. The happy hour was great because we've hired like dozens of new reporters and editors and producers and all sorts of cool things who I haven't met. And they're a lot younger than we are, Patricia, and they're awesome. <laughs> and it was really fun hanging out with them and the interns. And getting to put a face to all these names because we don't we don't have the same you know newsroom we used to have. But one of the reasons that um, that Nicole, my daughter, was so out of whack was that on the way from her canceled tennis practice to the happy hour, an editor who I will not name called, who is known for profane language, and I had him on speaker because I was driving. And <laughs> as we were talking very briefly, like a three minute conversation, Nicole was counting all the uh, the bad words that were dropped, and. In the short drive, maybe we're talking in a, a mile, she counted eight F-bombs <laughs> and one BS. <laughs> so uh, I told her that uh, covering the news is not for the faint of heart. And she goes, Daddy, I've heard you say those words in traffic anyway. So Okay, uh, real had, quick. I'm going to tell you that I've had the exact same experience, except it was you calling Greg. <laughs> oh, I said those words? <laughs> yes. And Henry oh. was like, oh, I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. But did you tell me Henry's in the car? No, of course not. No, I didn't. Well, you well didn't tell me I that. picked up your on speaker and you just went off, and you oh, know I, I couldn't get in front of that train. <laughs> I might have been mad about some, <laughs> some something that was happening in our world or beyond it. Well, tell Henry I'm sorry. As and he look, loved our it. Listener, he loved it. Our listeners now have the chance to call us directly and drop f bombs. <laughs> you can submit your questions by calling the 24-hour Politically Georgia podcast line. It's at seven seven zero eight one zero. Five two nine seven. That's seven seven zero eight one zero five two nine seven. Let us hear from you directly. Patricia's also put on her social media an opportunity for our listeners to ask us questions, and we got a lot of good questions this week, Patricia. Let's start with one that I'm opening right now. It's from our friend Niles Francis. It's Great. a smart one, um, as usual, because he's a smart guy, a teen wonderkind. But he says. Regarding this whole Camp Warnock split ticket issue, he said, Ossoff and Warnock essentially campaign as a ticket doing the runoffs. Do you all think there's a reason why we haven't seen Warnock and Abrams do much of the same, at least so far? That is a very good question uh, worth exploring because he's right. Ossoff and Warnock, you know, they would have separate events, but they were basically in a bromance. You know, they called it that, a bromance going on. They, they were they were on the same page on issues. They had similar strategies. They didn't line everything up. There were certainly stops where um, both of them weren't at the same stop, things like that. But, you know, they were running as a ticket, as were the Republicans, where in this race, there's not much, you know... Uh, I'll put it this way. Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock are very close. And Stacey Abrams is one of the main reasons where why Warnock is a senator right now. She encouraged him to run. She gave him her full-throated support. After she decided not to run for that seat, she wanted, uh, she helped the party coalesce behind Raphael Warnock. They're very close. But their campaigns have not dovetailed. I think one of the main reasons is obvious. One's a state race. One's a federal race. There's different issues at play. But I don't think we've seen the two of them at a campaign event other than with Joe Biden or when a national figure comes in in months. 
Am, am I missing? I, 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 don't, I just don't think I've seen the two together. They're, they certainly have, have endorsed each other and have backed each other and they haven't, you know, there hasn't been a rift, but they have certainly not campaigned in tandem. I think that's exactly that's definitely like even when Joe Biden came to Clark Atlanta University, Stacey Abrams was not with him. She actually had something else going on. Um, but that was sort of the big Democratic confab and she wasn't there. And we haven't really seen her and Warnock campaigning together since then. I think you're exactly right. These are two different races. They are also, we have a situation where Warnock is an incumbent and Stacey Abrams is a challenger. So they're going to have a different message Mm -hmm. in that way. You know, who, which one is going for change? Why would you want to have any change? I'm the incumbent, you know, so you don't want to sort of mix that message up either. And when Ossoff and Warnock were running, they were running both as challengers, both as Democrats, obviously, with um, basically identical messages and as literally by the end there, as you said, like a package deal. It would be the first black senator from Georgia and the first Jewish senator from Georgia. They were running to change this state and change the way the state is being represented and to go to Washington and take those values with them. So there was so little difference in their messages that they became to sort of strengthen each other's messages and they would go around campaigning together. They finished ever so slightly with different results, but you know, ultimately the both ended up there. I think there also is some anxiety among both the Warnock campaign and the Abrams campaign. We just cannot read the future on this election right now. And Mm -hmm. nobody wants to take on the weaknesses of any other candidate that they don't have to. So I think they're all trying to run their own race. Nobody is trying to say, I'm not a Democrat. Nobody's trying to say, I never met Joe Biden. You know, that's not what they're doing. They're not taking there. There were days when Democrats in Georgia would keep very, very deliberately distant from other members of their own party. I don't think that's what's going on. But I do think both of these candidates are so concerned with building up their own brand and building their own relationship with voters right now. Um, That may change the closer we get to November. Um, But I think they each feel like they have their own really different races to run. And they don't see the benefit right now of taking on the other's challenges at the same time. And one other point about the 2021 runoffs is that they the, all all these candidates had to run as package deals because if one of the Democrats won and one lost, then Democrats would not control the Senate right now. So they had to sweep. They had to run as a package deal. And Republicans kind of looked at it the same way. They said, you know, if, if one of us loses, both of us are going to lose in their view because they thought it was going to be as close as they said, well, I'm not being. Um, we're going to do one more question because we have a little bit more time. John Palabalus, he asks... How have Democrats changed the financial landscape in Georgia here with fundraising numbers? And it's a very good point because yes. it's now routine, Patricia, that the Democrats outraise, not just slightly outraise, but just wallop Republicans when it comes to fundraising, even incumbents, right? Governor Kemp, he raised what would have been an eye-popping number, seven million bucks in two months, right? I mean, not so long ago, we would be saying, holy cow, um, or worse, uh, if Henry was in the car. <laughs> but, now, <laughs> but now we see Stacey Abrams raising almost triple that in the same spend, 18 plus million dollars. She's got huge leads when it comes to cash on hand. So does Senator Raphael Warnock over Herschel Walker, even in down ticket races, Jen Jordan, Bean Wen, They're out raising their, in, their Republican incumbent opponents. But as Democrats say, they feel like they've got to raise even more cash than they're raising to counter the really tough political climate they're in. 
Well, I think that's accurate. They do need to raise more money, but they are raising more money. And I would say Stacey Abrams, without exaggerating, is really the premier Democratic fundraiser in the country. And Raphael Warnock is right behind her. Raphael Warnock has raised more than any other, I want to say any other Senate candidate right now, as far as incumbents go, who aren't self also self-financing their campaigns. A lot of that is because Georgia has become so central to Democrats' hopes. Raphael Warnock is crucial for Democrats to win in order to hold on to control of the U.S. Senate. And Stacey Abrams, many Democrats, national Democrats, particularly in California, really see her as the architect of Democrats' victory in 2020. I I think she got more credit in some quarters than Joe Biden did, to be honest with you, because she really Mm. revolutionized how to register, motivate, turnout, deliver, and message for Democrats in a way that was completely modern and completely different from the way Democrats were doing it before. And it worked. You know, that was the most important part is that it worked in 2020. And so Abrams has just become an absolutely central figure to the future of the Democratic Party, I would say. And so I think the money follows. And if Georgia could pick up the governor's race after they won, um, after Joe Biden managed to win the presidency with Georgia, in 2020, that would really change Democrats' fortune across the Deep South. And that is where population is growing. It's where Democrats know they need to be stronger, want to be stronger. And so Abrams is a really big piece of that success story if they can put it together. And just to clarify these numbers for our listeners, Stacey Abrams amassed more than $22 million over a two-month period. She's close to raising about $50 million overall since getting in the race in December, and she's just dominating Brian Kemp, the incumbent who has all the levers of power and all the ability to, to raise money. And he's not doing too shabby, um, but against Stacey Abrams, uh, that is. And Senator Raphael Warnock has raised $17 million over a three-month period. That is a whopping total and far outpacing Herschel Walker, who has raised uh, about $6 million over the same period. So again, Herschel Walker's no slouch. He is one of the leading fundraisers in the GOP uh, right now and certainly one of the top Republican challengers in the fundraising game. But you know, it's hard to hold a candle to these two elite fundraisers on the Democratic side. Let's segue that to the, the next segment, which is who's up, who's down. <laughs> we know, Patricia, we know uh, that Democrats are up when it comes to fundraising, but my up would be the TV stations, the media outlets, <laughs> I wish I could say print newspapers, but the media outlets that are going to be benefiting from all this campaign fundraising because I published a story a, a couple of days ago that quoted Rick Dent, our friend, media strategist who knows what he's talking about, who says that $225 million has already been booked and reserved through November from ads from the campaigns for governor and Senate and all their affiliated groups. Almost a quarter of billion dollars have already been booked. That's not counting what's to come, and that's not counting a potential runoff period. So my winners, and they will continue to be winners, we could say it almost every week, are the TV stations, the streaming stations, the direct mail, all the companies and firms that benefit from all this media spending. They've got to be some big winners this cycle. Yes, the buyers. Why didn't we all become buyers? I've asked myself that question so many times. Like you get a like a tidy percentage of the buy. And if the buy is $10 million, 
well, you know, you can see where that's going to have you living in the future. It's going to be on <laughs> easy street. But I did not become a media buyer. I do this for a living. And I think that's great. So for my who's up this week, you know what? It's going to be my who is ending on a more neutral note than the day before. And I'm going to give it to Herschel Walker because um, he has... I'm, like, I'm brought, glad you didn't give him a who's down for once. <laughs> he's not a who's down. And I really almost feel obligated not to give him a who's down. He's brought in more staff. He is staffing up with people who are also seasoned. He has not lost the confidence at this point of um, Mitch McConnell and national Republicans. They believe still that the state is very winnable. They believe that because of the national environment. They believe that because of gas prices and everything they were talking about before. So despite the fact that Herschel Walker, given the last two weeks of press that he's had, um, ought to be losing by 10 points, he is still uh, tied, uh, right about tied with Raphael Warnock um, neck and neck so far. And so that is a kind of shocking result if you think about it. So I'm going to give <laughs> my Herschel Walker my who's not doing as bad as he could be. And, uh, you know, if he's still neck and neck at this point, they've still got a real race on their hands. And that really speaks to the fact that this environment is very favorable. But then also Herschel Walker has some enduring appeal among Republicans. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, Since you've got the floor, do you want to go with your who's down? My who's down has to be President Joe Biden. The headlines were brutal this week in terms of um, the fundamentals of the economy, inflation, uh, interest rates, I think, are going to go up in the next two weeks or so. Um, Gas prices are falling, but they're still 40% higher than they were. It's just Mm -hmm. an unbelievably horrible news cycle. And the news cycle is based on some really bad economic news. And that is really posing a lot of peril to Joe Biden's numbers in the House and Senate and to the people down here in Georgia who are running. Um, They're not running away from Joe Biden, but they really know that um, his fortunes right now are are low and potentially getting lower. Again, when his approval rating is at 34%, that means in Georgia, in the latest AARP Georgia poll done by President Biden's own pollster, it means the Democrats have to significantly outperform the president who narrowly carried the state just two years ago. Um, My who's down, I'm going to go a different direction because you kind of stole mine, but in a good way. The folks in Elbert County, I I feel so bad for them. Me too. Um, The Georgia Guidestones, the pillars, we talked about it earlier, but the pillars, these stone monuments, the mysterious stone monuments have been a key tourism attraction for people in the rural part of Elbert County in Northeast Georgia. And conspiracy theorists who kept on saying all this inane stuff about the Georgia Guidestones, we're not sure exactly what happened, but we know they got blown up. We know there was an explosion there and that state authorities that had take it down. And our colleague, Chris Joyner, talked to Elbert County officials who said, A, they should have seen it coming and they're lamenting at, and B, they're worried, right? That was a part of the, the county's economy. That was a reason for people to go off the beaten path and go visit this attraction. So there are many people in Elbert County we're, we're thinking of, and, and we hope that authorities get to the bottom of whatever happened with the Georgia Guidestones. Meanwhile, you can count on us to deliver you new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. 
Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,